Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's July 6th, and the time is 4 o'clock. And on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Marissa Jordan. Later in the show, we'll have community calendar. Um, and this day in history and weather. Colleen Keenan-Ferguson brings you her legal podcast. We will hear about Josh Monahan and his pop and potato chips business as a part of our collaboration with The Technician. We air the Features Focus, a bi-weekly spotlight highlighting a member of the Wolf Pack. Marissa reports on a woman scammed out of her partial ownership of the popular Thai restaurant, Sawazdi. Saif Hassan brings you news beyond the headline. This week, he takes a look at a protest in Zimbabwe and methamphetamines found in Australia. For North Carolina News, Maya Connell reports on mental health stigma. Mental illness affects 335,000 people in North Carolina, and those who look for help wait up to 11 years on average before getting treatment. And Ian brings you a look at the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, which found the district lines drawn by state lawmakers unconstitutional. But first, Mandy Butchiski brings you a look at her NC State basketball team. So, I know we are far away from the return of Wolfpack basketball, but I can't help but be excited for the season with all of these new acquisitions we've had recently. What originally seemed to be a disaster of an upcoming season is now looking pretty dang good. Let's rewind to March when we found out Kat Barber, Malika Boo, and BJ Anya were declaring for the draft, and the Martin Twins were transferring. That's four of our five starters we will no longer have. Cat Barber was by far the biggest loss as he led the team last season in points per game, assists per game, and free throw percentage. That being said, Dennis Smith, a five-star prospect who committed to NC State in November and is ranked number four in the ESPN 100 and the number one ranked point guard, looks to be a fine replacement. Also, guard Torin Dorn, that was named Conference USA's Freshman of the Year for the 2014-2015 season, who transferred from UNC Charlotte last season but was ineligible to play due to the NCAA's transfer policy, will now be able to play for Coach Godfrey this season. That still didn't leave us a front court presence for the team. On May 13th, the wheels started turning as we filled an immediate need with 6'7 power forward Darius Hicks, who is a three-star prospect. Three days later, we received another glimmer of hope as 7-foot Turkish center Omar Yurtsevin, a five-star prospect who scored 91 points, Yes, you heard that right, 91 points in a U18 game the day before, committed to NC State. Then, another three days later, Abu and Anya both withdrew from the draft and said they were returning to NC State. I'm more excited for the Abu part of that storyline, considering Abu averaged almost 13 points and 9 rebounds per game last season, while Anya averaged just 5 points and 5 rebounds per game. But... Wait a minute. In six days, we had a lineup that featured two five-star prospects and one three-star prospect and the return of Abu. Wolfpack fans started becoming hopeful that the season wouldn't be a lost cause like we originally thought. The best part, it didn't end there. On June 20th, four-star point guard Markel Johnson, who averaged 31 points per game last season, joined the pack as well. 
While he will play behind Dennis Smith for the majority of the season, he now offers death to the pack backcourt. Abu even tweeted, quote, this season is going to be sensational, end quote. Just when you are chomping at the bit to get the season going, on June 24th, four-star forward Ted Capita, who is 6'8", also decided to join the NC State team. Gottfried commented on Capita as a, quote, versatile and athletic addition who plays with a high motor, is a relentless defender, and can rebound. He can also stretch defenses with his ability to knock down shots on the perimeter, end quote. I'm excited, guys. This spring recruiting has far surpassed my expectations. NC State has been ranked as the fifth best recruiting class as the 2016 team will feature two five-star prospects, two four-star prospects, and one three-star prospect. I have a pretty good feeling we can give the ACC a run for their money this year. Bring on November. Concern over what others might think is a major roadblock for the estimated 335,000 people in North Carolina who could be in need of mental health help. New research measured how 370 college students respond when given the opportunity to learn more online about mental health services. Daniel Lannon, the study's lead author at Iowa State University, says even in a private and anonymous setting, someone with greater self-stigma is less likely to take the first step, getting information about help that's available. Stigma means that a person is putting labels on themselves like, I'm weak, I'm disturbed, because they're believing what some parts of society are telling them about having a mental health concern or seeking counseling. Lannon says many people still feel uncomfortable or threatened by mental illness, views that often lead to various forms of discrimination or exclusion in social or work settings. So, people who need help have a harder time admitting there's a problem. Lannon says the study illustrates the need for better interventions, but adds that can be tricky because efforts often are rejected. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, three-quarters of all chronic conditions begin by age 24. Lannon says for many young adults, it's a time of transition, going to college, working full-time, and moving away from home, adding to the reasons they may not seek help. He notes that by the time someone shows symptoms of distress, they are often struggling to function. Functionally, in areas of their life, they're being impaired. They might miss work. They might miss class. In some cases, they might struggle with even hygiene or they might strongly contemplate suicide. One in five people struggles with mental illness in the U.S., Lannon says, and those who look for help wait 11 years on average before finally getting treatment. He says the solution for removing stigma as a barrier needs to be addressed, both at a societal and individual level for people to feel more comfortable taking those first steps to get better. This has been a North Carolina news service announcement, and this is Mia Canal with Eye on the Triangle. The district lines drawn by state lawmakers restructuring the Wake County Board of Education and County Commission are unconstitutional. That's the ruling issued Friday by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. While the case specifically impacts voters in Wake County, Allison Riggs with the Southern Coalition for Social Justice says she hopes the decision signals the tides are turning and other attempts to do what she and others call voter suppression. You could say, oh, we don't want to confuse voters, we'll just let it stand. But that just lets legislators pick their voters rather than voters pick their legislators, and it lets them control the electorate, decide who gets to vote and who doesn't. The Fourth Circuit is also considering a case arguing against North Carolina's 2013 election reform law, which requires photo identification at the polls and puts in place early voting restrictions 
in addition to other changes. The same judge that issued the Wake County decision heard arguments for that challenge as well. Riggs says it's not yet clear how lawmakers in Wake County will handle the Fourth Circuit's ruling, but she and others hope it means the unconstitutional district lines are not used for the November election, in spite of the voter education that will now be required. There's a whole lot of cases in the hopper, and these are legal challenges that have been percolating for a while, and they're starting to bear fruit. But the bottom line is the General Assembly has been acting like the laws don't apply to them. Specifically, the court took issue with the new districts drawn by the General Assembly, calling them unevenly populated and giving more power to voters in districts that were underpopulated for partisan gain. In local news, last week in Raleigh, the owner of a popular Thai restaurant on Capitol Boulevard, Sawasti, was charged with common law robbery, identity theft, and obtaining property by false pretenses, documents show. The owner allegedly kept a mother and daughter in illegal servitude, lied to them about the prospect of owning half the restaurant, and took $60,000 from the family. About a year ago, a woman and her daughter arrived to the U.S. in the hopes of becoming partial owners of the restaurant. Instead, after they arrived in North Carolina, they were attacked, their passports stolen, and the daughter was told to start showing up for a 10-hour-a-day, seven-days-a-week, unpaid job at the restaurant. Without their passports, the mother and daughter would not be able to leave the area and would be forced to continue to work at Sawasti. During the investigation, police found that last June, a check was written to the owners of Sawasti for $30,598, and a second one was done later in August for $30,196 to Merrimax, a limited liability corporation that owns Sawasti. However, the woman was given no documentation of owning part of the restaurant from the owners of Sawasti. The police also found the family's passports in the restaurant during the investigation. I'm Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your News Beyond the Headlines. The streets of Zimbabwe's main cities are deserted during a nationwide stay-away to protest the lack of jobs and unpaid wages. The protests were organized through the messaging site WhatsApp, but it is not clear which group is behind it. The internet was often unavailable on Wednesday morning, but the government has denied blocking it. Protesters are also setting up burning barricades in Harare. Some of the messages calling for a stay-away also urge President Robert Mugabe to step down. The 92-year-old has governed the country since its independence in 1980. On Twitter, activists have been using the hashtag, hashtag ShutdownZimbabwe2016, to mobilize support. Many civil servants have not been paid in more than a month. They went on strike on Tuesday. On Monday, taxi drivers complaining about police extortion clashed with the security forces in parts of Harare. The economy has also been hit by currency shortages and a severe drought. I can't go to work when the rest of the country is not going to work, Sibbert Marumo, who works for an electrical shop, told the AFP news agency. Life is tough, and we need to show the government that we have been stretched to the limit. Meanwhile, in Australia, police have found 600 pounds of the drug methamphetamine in shipping containers in Melbourne worth an estimated 206 million U.S. dollars. The drugs were found under the floorboards of containers from China following a tip-off, officials say. A Malaysian and seven Australians were charged with drug offenses by the Australian Federal Police. 
The bus came after a five-month operation by Australian police in partnership with Chinese authorities. The bust was the largest methamphetamine seizure in Victoria State this year, enough for 2.5 million hits. Victoria Police spokesman Stephen Fontana said, You think of the misery in this community that that causes in terms of road trauma, family violence, violence in our street, crime, and addiction, and harm to families. It's enormous. The men, aged between 24 and 32, are charged with various drug offenses, including trafficking. Five of the suspects will appear in Melbourne Court on Tuesday, and the other three will appear in October. According to an official study, methamphetamine use has doubled in Australia since 2007. Over 200,000 people used the drug in 2013. I'm Saeed and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. I would also like to wish a happy Eve to anybody celebrating it. Josh Monahan, senior studying ag business management, knew he wanted to pursue a career in snack foods but what he was uncertain of was what cause he wanted to contribute to. He found inspiration in the United States' ubiquitous hunger problem. One in six people is plagued with the uncertainty of what their next meal will be. Monahan is no stranger to the snack food industry. His parents' company, The Peanut Roaster, has been around for 60 years. Then The Peanut Roaster. I didn't really want to do the peanut thing, so I'm doing this. After two years, he launched his company, One in Six Snacks, producing chips under the brand Carolina Kettle. I'm trying to do something snack food related. And I kind of knew the, the, the peanut side of it because of my parents, but I wanted to learn a different side of it. The brand name is an ode to North Carolina's landmark vegetable. Local potatoes and ingredients are used in production. The kettle batches are hand-cooked in 100% coconut oil. Presently, the bags are co-packed, although when Monahan graduates, he plans on doing it himself. Well, I knew I wanted to do something different, and nobody's really doing the unique flavors of kettle chips, and there's no, there's not really any other kettle chip companies in North Carolina, so I knew I wanted to do that. The flavor packs a powerful punch. Carolina Kettle features six flavors, but plans to expand in the future. The current lineup includes Bee Sting Honey Sriracha, Southern Twang Salt and Vinegar, the Mama Gin Dill Pickle, Down East Carolina Barbecue, Low Country Crab Boil, and Cozumel Jalapeno Queso. Monahan, a snack connoisseur in his own right, treated the concoction delicately. Perfecting the flavor was a trial and error process, taking weeks to curate. The bags are available in two-ounce portions, which each correspond to a five-cent donation to the Food Bank of Central and Eastern Raleigh. To put this in perspective, one dollar is the equivalent of five meals. They're being made in Pennsylvania right now. But that's just until I can start doing it here. Where they got to be NC with the goodness grows. All the local products are part of the gotta be NC program. Monahan plans on expanding his product line and bag size. I'm trying to work on a sweet potato chip, so that'll be the next thing. Because North Carolina's number one in sweet potatoes. It's kinda be a cool North Carolina thing to do. Additionally, a plain salted flavor is in the works. The chips are available in a growing number of North Carolina locations, two of which are in walking distance from campus, Liquid State and Green Monkey. Rusty Sutton, who co-owns Green Monkey with Drew Temple, also prefers to keep things local. His shop overflows with North Carolina gifts and craft beers. The quintessential snack food didn't last long. Overlooking the beer bar, Carolina Kettle was undaunted by comparison. Nestled among familiar brands, the bags flew off the shelves. 
proving a snack not to be trifled with. Spread across the bar, Sutton administers a taste test. The crunchy medallions, teeming with flavor, were grabbed up by the handfuls. Sutton, sifting through the flavors, admits he has a preference for dill. When Sutton read up on Monahan's story, he was excited to do business with him. Students at NC State will soon be able to eat their way through the flavors. I'm in a bunch of gourmet stores around here, and then I'm trying to get in delis. Hopefully, starting at the end of this month, I'll be in the C stores on campus. Looking forward, Monahan prospects the snack to be available in grocery stores. Starting at the end of this month, I'll be in the C stores on campus. I'm talking to grocery stores now, which that's a lot of work because they're big companies and have all this paperwork and stuff, but hopefully they'll be in grocery stores in the next year or so. You can find out more at carolinakettle.com. This has been Samuel Griffin, Features Editor, reading for Maddie Bonnebue, Assistant Features Editor of Technician, for Eye on the Triangle. You're listening to Legal Work, a weekly podcast offering legal advice to students, recorded from the 88.1 WKNC production room on the campus of North Carolina State University. My name is Colleen Keenan-Ferguson, and I'm the podcast manager for WKNC. Legal Work is my effort to help educate young adults like myself who may be misinformed about how the law works in specific cases and under specific circumstances. What are my rights while stopped at a police checkpoint? Can I refuse a search? Can I dispute a drinking ticket? How do I get my security deposit back from a landlord? How do I hire a lawyer? Today's topic deals with the rights of an individual stopped by the police while driving. If you're stopped, either while driving or at a police checkpoint, what rights do you have? Do you have to exit your vehicle? Can they search your car? And under what conditions? I sat down with Pam Gerace, director of NC State Student Legal Services, to talk about it. If you have any pressing legal concerns, please contact a lawyer. But if you're just wondering how the law works to better prepare yourself for the future, please send any discussion topics you'd like us to cover to podcast at wknc.org. Say you're driving and you get pulled over by the police. How typically should you respond? First of all, you do have to stop. If you don't stop, you know, you could get a, uh, a citation or an arrest for eluding arrest. You do have the right to try to go to some reasonable place. In other words, you don't have to just stop in the middle of the road, pull to the side or side street, but it has to be a reasonable amount of time. But yes, you must stop. Once you're stopped, you stay in your car because one of the factors that the courts will look at is whether the officer perceived there was any safety concerns for them. So if you just hop out of the car when it stops, you start reaching into your glove compartment or your console before the officer has approached or had an opportunity to talk to you, that could be perceived as a safety threat and that could be some issues. So you wanna make sure you stop, 
and then you want to make sure your hands are visible so there's no question and then you wait and let the officer go ahead and and do their stop or ask their questions or do whatever they're going to do and along those lines yes you do have to identify yourself you are required um, in North Carolina to produce your driver's license. So we're talking about a traffic stop. You are required to produce your driver's license when asked, so you have to identify who you are. And the officer does have the right to check your registration and insurance. Those are valid reasons for a traffic stop, uh, and you do have to cooperate. However, having said that, there are certain things you don't have to do. You don't have to answer any questions beyond answering who you are uh, or presenting the materials that the officer asks. You do, however, have to get out of the car if you're asked to get out of the car. Again, a lot of those case, cases will deal with safety issues of the officer if they perceive. It's, it's what they perceive. You may know you're not a threat, but they may not know that. And so it's based on, on their reasonable suspicion or what they think if there's any safety issues. And so it's going to depend on, on how the traffic stop just unfolds as to what you have to do. If the driver is pulled over, are they legally required to roll down their window? They will have to roll down their window. I'm not saying all the way down. I'm not sure there's any cases on that. But yes, they can be asked to roll down their window and not just talk through the glass. And obviously, one of the reasons is the officer will want that would be able to see if they smell the odor of alcohol. We've had cases where we have students that um, vape, and that has a whole lot of smoke. And so the officers are always suspicious of that. But yeah, you would need to roll down your window, at least partially, to be able to speak to the officer. If a driver is stopped by an officer, does the officer have the right to detain them and or search their vehicle? And if so, under what conditions? The officers have a right to detain for a normal traffic stop if, if that's why they stop them, if they have a reasonable suspicion. And it could be uh, anything from a moving violation to a non-moving violation. So if the officer sees you driving down the street and you don't have your seatbelt, you know, you didn't uh, operate the car incorrectly, but you weren't doing a safety feature that you were supposed to be doing. So um, it doesn't have to necessarily be just things that you're doing wrong with the car. Moving violations are anything to do with how you operate the vehicle, basically, and those normally will result in insurance points. Most traffic violations are also, let me make this distinction, most traffic violations are what we call infractions, and that is not a criminal record specifically is indicated in the statutes that it does not count as a criminal record. You are able to be stopped for a moving or a non-moving. A non-moving violation is when it has to do with the vehicle itself or some safety equipment. No headlights, no taillights, mufflers, and things like that. Um, but uh, the officer is allowed to stop for, for any, of, uh, any of those reasons. Officers are also allowed to stop when they are checking, and when they stop, they can check the driver's license to see if it's current and if it belongs to you. They check the registration to see if it's current and, you know, again, if it's reported stolen, then that's a whole other line of questioning, but, and to make sure that you have insurance, because in North Carolina, it's actually a misdemeanor not to have current insurance. They routinely can stop for things other than just how you're driving and speeding and, and those kind of things. They can detain you. It can get gray as to how long they can detain you and as to whether it can go beyond the original reason that they stopped you. There's been some recent cases where uh, it indicates that the, the detention 
It cannot extend beyond what a normal, ordinary traffic stop would be. So if they stop you because you were speeding or they stop you because the license plate's expired or something like that, they can't hold you for an hour and a half while they run every check in the world and they wait to get a you know a sniffing dog in or any of those kind of things. Specifically, there's a lot of new cases out that the officers can't detain you beyond what is a normal traffic stop unless they have evidence or they have a reasonable suspicion that a crime has been committed. So they saw you drinking and driving, okay? That's beyond, you know, just the normal traffic stop, and they may be able to stop and investigate to see other bottles in the car or or things like that. So they're allowed to detain. It depends on the totality of the circumstances, how long they can detain and how far from the original stop they they can try to investigate. They always usually can search incident to an arrest. So if you have a DWI uh, or you've been arrested for a hit and run or or something like that, uh, they always can search the car for that. They have the right to search a car even if you're not arrested because an infraction is not an arrest. But they have the right to search the car if they uh, believe that their safety is in danger. And a lot of the cases will deal with how the person acted. So if they're jerky or if they are hide, they look like they're hiding something and they do sudden actions. If they're nervous, there's a lot of different totality of circumstances that could lead to them possibly thinking there may be a safety issue. Now, having said that, there are cases that just being nervous isn't enough. So I want you to understand it has to be more than just that because everybody's usually nervous around an officer. So it's going to have to have some other type of activity that's probably present before you know they, it means that they uh, have the right to just stop and say they can search because of that. Uh, we have a lot of students that get alcohol tickets. With the alcohol tickets, the officers could possibly, uh, depending on if they actually saw the student or person drinking, they might be able to search to see if they, you know, saw the bottle, if they can find it. Most of the time, however, it's plain view. So if it's plain view, I mean, it's on the, sitting there on the floor, or it's in the console or in the side pockets, uh, sorry, side pockets of the uh, car, they don't need a search warrant. They don't need any of those kind of things because it's, it's, they observed the criminal activity and saw then the evidence of that criminal activity. Um, and with pot, odor um, is enough to be probable cause for an officer to believe that a crime has occurred. And a lot of times what they will do is ask the students to exit the car and sit on the curb so that they are free to search. You have the right, if asked, that you don't consent to a search. And as a matter of fact, we would probably tell most of the students when asked to say you don't consent. Now, that does not mean that you do anything to stop the search. Then you could get obstruction, you could get assault. There's a, there's a lot of different things. You may not agree with what the officer's doing, but you don't want to sit there and at that point do anything other than cooperate. You need to voice that you don't agree with it, and then you can bring up in court, I didn't agree, I did not consent. That doesn't mean that the search won't happen. It doesn't mean that the search would not have been allowed. Again, that's where you get to that reasonable suspicion and what did the officers see and what were the circumstances. We would tell students that, you know, just don't consent and then politely and then then you can bring that up at a later, you know, a later time. And the same thing we would say with with answering questions. We would strongly say, do not answer questions. Whenever we have students that get stopped, for instance, for DWI, one of the routine questions or one of the questions the officer will ask, where did you come from? Have you had anything to drink tonight? 
it would be really smart not to answer that question. It is not obstruction of justice. It is not obstructing an officer if you don't answer those questions. You're only required to give the ID, and you can politely refuse and just say, I'm sorry, I would like to exercise my right not to answer questions. And, and another thing, when we mentioned detention, I would suggest that the student say, am I free to go? And that might be able to be used at a later time if they weren't free to leave. Now, the cases are pretty clear that the officer can ask the people in the car to sit on the curb or you know, to exit the car while they search or do, or do whatever. That does not mean that they're under arrest. And so they could ask, are they free to leave? But the officers are allowed to detain for purposes of making sure their safety is okay. Our concern that we see with students is they just start talking and they volunteer things and they need to not do that. Miranda does not apply when you volunteer information. It applies when you're in a custodial situation and you're asked questions by the officer. Do NC State police officers have any limitations that City of Raleigh police officers might not have? Are there any real differences between the two? The only limitation uh, they might have is what we call their jurisdiction, which is their geographic area. So when we have NCSU police officers, that means usually on NCSU property. They'll touch all the areas that touch NCSU. So they may be able to go like a mile beyond NCSU to some of the apartment complexes and things like that. Uh, but they can arrest and do anything that a, that a you know, normal, regular police officer would do because that's actually what they are. Basically, you have to respect them as police officers and treat them as police officers because that's what they are. And so um, you have to abide by their requests. Now, the other thing, too, is for NCSU students, under your code of conduct, you have some things that you have to do that a regular person in the real world wouldn't necessarily have to do. For instance, if you were walking on campus, and a uh, NCSU police officer wanted you, you to show identification. You don't get to say, I don't have to do that. You have to under your code of conduct. The, the regular uh, statutes for everybody else in North Carolina don't say that you necessarily have to do that. Again, it would depend on the circumstances. But routinely, the officers can't just start walking up to you know strange strangers and say, I want your ID, I want your ID. But here on the NCSU campus, a... Uh, an NCSU police officer can ask for identification and you actually have to produce it according to the code of conduct. Can the driver refuse a breathalyzer test? Driver can always refuse a breathalyzer test. However, there will be some severe consequences for doing that. They will automatically lose their driving privileges uh, for a year. And, and you don't have a breathalyzer result mm -hmm. to argue in court to say I really was not at the legal level or above the legal level. It is automatic. With a refusal, it is automatic. You can request a limited driving privilege, usually six months in, um, and, and see if you're allowed to have a, a limited driving privilege. But um, it has, I mean, and it doesn't matter whether you were drunk or not. If you refused, mm -hmm. you lose your license. What are the rights of the if there's a passenger in the car, can the passenger refuse a breathalyzer test, or would that even come up? The pa well, the officer can ask for it, but it has no bearing on anything because they're not driving. 
So there's not a crime unless they were going to do drunk and disorderly, and they don't need to do a, a breathalyzer test for that. They can base that on uh, outward manifestations of just how they're acting and, and that kind of thing. Because a DWI is a whole nother topic, but I, I will just generally say on the DWI aspect of this, you don't ever even have to blow on a breathalyzer to be found guilty of a DWI. The only thing I, I would tell students is even if you don't agree, even if you think the officer's wrong, even if you think they're out of line, it does not mean you get to resist. You still need to cooperate. You're not forced to answer questions, so you don't have to do that. Um, but if the officer asks you to leave the car, you don't sit there and refuse to do that because refusing to abide by an officer's order is resisting arrest, and you could be charged separately for that. Um, and then you always have the right, if you really think the officer is out of line or something like that, you can always file a complaint with Internal Affairs. And we suggest that if students really feel that, that they may want to consider that because it doesn't mean the officer's going to get, you know, get fired, but you don't know if that officer may have a history. And so there may be several complaints in a file, and this may be the last one that they need in order to possibly discipline or do something like that. Because you don't want an officer out there that's that's either not doing things correctly or, or something like that. So, but yeah, understand disagreeing is one thing, but resisting and obstructing is another thing. So stick to your right. Don't answer questions. You don't have to do any of those kind of things. You don't have to consent to the search. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but then you can possibly use that later if a violation occurred. My name is Pam Gerace, and I'm the director of University Student Legal Services. And when I'm not providing services to students, I'm listening to 88.1. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC-FM Raleigh. The time is 4.34. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Marissa Jordan. So you just heard that legal counsel podcast uh, that Colleen uh, Keenan Ferguson helped uh, with. So the Fifth Amendment is the right to not self-incriminate, use it or lose it. For the community calendar... Hip Hop in Context with Ninth Wonder is happening today, Wednesday, July 6th, from 7 to 9.30 p.m. in Hunt Auditorium. Grammy Award-winning producer, DJ, rapper, Harvard Fellow, and lecturer, Ninth Wonder, will lead participants through a survey of development and history of hip-hop. This Thursday, July 7th, from 5 to 7 p.m., UNC is holding a class on how to make traditional rice balls. You can join a lecturer in the Chinese Department of Asian Studies, Jia Lin, who will lead the class. The event will take place in New West Building, room 219. Also on Thursday, July 7th, from 7 to 9 p.m. in the Natural Science Museum, 
Natural Sciences Museum will be having a science trivia in the Plant Life Cafe. Uh, what's cooler than absolute zero? You can find out at Science Trivia Nights at the NC Museum of Natural Sciences, where questions feature a mix of science facts, current news, pop culture, and scientific discoveries. Held in the New Wings Daily Planet Cafe on the first Thursday of every month, this is a great opportunity to mingle with friends, compete for prizes, and bragging rights. The same day, July 7th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., UNC will also host a viewing of the movie Moving Midway in Murphy Hall, room 116. When a New York film critic, Godfrey Cheshire, returns home to North Carolina in early 2004 and hears that his cousin, Charlie Silver, plans to uproot and move the buildings of Midway Plantation, their family's ancestral home, an extraordinary emotional journey begins. Charlie's plan is a controversial one within their extended family. Some fear the move will destroy Midway. Others worry about the reaction of the plantation's ghosts, including Miss Mary Mimi Hinton, Midway's eccentric owner when Charlie and Godfrey were kids. There's another group that may be concerned too. Charlie says he was recently visited by a man who claimed that their family has a large, previously unknown African-American branch due to a liaison between Midway's builder and plantation slave. Back in New York, Cheshire fortuitously encounters Robert Hinton, an NYU professor of African-American studies who says his grandfather was born a slave at Midway. While beginning a dialogue on the meaning of Midway from their very different perspectives, Cheshire and Hinton examine how a southern plantation, a crucial economic institution in early America, generated a powerful, bitter, bitterly contested mythology that was at the center of a string of American cultural milestones. On Friday, July 8th at 11 a.m., the North Carolina Museum of Art will host the Armchair Travel Series, Focus on Asia, Japan. You can explore the great tourist sites of Asia with museum lecturer Joseph Covington, who continues the popular series that merges art, travel, and spectacular photography. For the weather, it looks like another rainy week in the Triangle. In Raleigh, today there is a high of 90 and a low of 74 degrees, with a 40% chance of rain later in the week. Thursday, there will be a high of 95 and a low of 74, with afternoon thunderstorms. Friday is the only predicted sunny day, with a high of 98 and a low of 77 degrees, and we're looking at yet another wet week with a high of 98 and a low of 73 Saturday, and a high of 92 and 74 Sunday, and afternoon thunderstorms both days. On this day in history, in 1775, Congress issued a declaration on the causes and necessity of taking up arms. In 1935, the Dalai Lama, leader of Tibet and the best-selling author, was born. In 1946, George Walker Bush was born. In 1957, Althea Gibson is the first African-American to win Wimbledon. And also in 1957, John and Paul of the Beatles meet for the first time. In 1988, there is an explosion on the North Sea oil rig. As always, if you've heard anything you've liked, you've hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. 
and be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next, next week right here on WKNC. I'd like to thank our contributors, Maya Cannell, Saif Hassan, Mandy Bachiski, Colleen Keenan-Ferguson, Sam Griffin, and Maddie Bonabue. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice, wishing you all a fantastic Wednesday afternoon. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.